I'm, I'm starting a brand new series today titled, Why Can't We Be Friends? Be friends, why can't Some of young people are like, what are they doing? I don't understand. Is that a new worship song? I don't get it. <laughs> That's old school right there. Why can't we be friends? We're going to learn how to develop relationships in a divided world. Hello? We're going to learn how to develop relationships in a divided world. And so I'm going to start off the series right off the top of learning how Jesus was a friend of sinners was a friend of sinners. So if you can, turn with me to Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 28. And it says this, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So this is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. And he said, this guy is a modern day hero. He's a modern day hero. But he says, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom is greater than he. He's, a, he's trying to teach them this kingdom principle saying this, if you could just learn to serve the person next to you, then you can be a hero. Look to the person next to you and say, you can be a hero. You can be a hero. He says, greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too. See, the tax collectors at this time were shady people. And some of you are like, tax collectors are still shady people. They're not. So these shady people, they were betraying their own Jewish people and working for the government, taking money from their own people. So when they say tax collectors, that's what they're talking about. And so the tax collectors declared that God is just and have been baptized with John. They had this life encounter, life transformation encounter with John. And it says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not being baptized by them. And so Jesus says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. Other translations basically say it like this, like they're spoiled children. This generation is a bunch of spoiled children trying to get everybody's attention is what Jesus is saying. And then he says this, for John the Baptist came eating no bread. He was straight keto. Eating no bread and drinking no wine. That does not sound like fun to me. But yet Jesus says this, he, he was doing everything good, didn't drink bread, didn't, drink, didn't eat bread, didn't drink wine. He says, and he has a demon. You were accusing him of being an evil person. But then he says this, the son of man, he's talking about himself, Jesus has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. I love that the message version says this. It says this, that the Son of Man came feasting and you called him a boozer. And Jesus said, opinion polls don't count for much, do they? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Who's hungry today? Talk about bread and wine and pudding. I'm ready to dive in. So I hope you're ready today. Loud and proud together say, I'm here. I'm ready. Draw me closer. Make me better. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. You may be seated. Look to the person next to you and say, you look cute in this lighting. I don't know how you're going to look in the foyer, but you look cute in this lighting. Back in my pre-Jesus days, we used to call them people, we used to call them strobe light honeys. They only look good in the strobe light. That's pre-Jesus. Don't judge me. Pre-Jesus. Hey, sometimes when I get up here, I like to use this time as uh, therapy for me. Can I use this moment for therapy for me? Um, so a couple weeks ago, we had 
a, a weekend where we encouraged you to, hey, go spend time with your collectives. What are collectives? Collectives are groups of 20 plus people that we get together here at Fervent Church, and this is where you get chemistry, care, and challenge. So we challenged you to go out, hang out with your collectives on 4th of July weekend, or hang out with your family, and it was just an all-online service. Everybody remember this? And all-online service. And so let me tell you, on a weekly basis, I've been doing this for 21 years now, on a weekly basis, my body just wakes up on Sunday at 5 a.m. Without any alarm, I just wake up. So I was forcing myself to sleep in on July 3rd when we just had an in-person, I mean, an online service. And so my wife, unfortunately, she's a creature of habit, so she just wakes up naturally too. And so I tried my best to sleep in, so I tried to just hold on tight to my pillow and just push through, maybe woke up at maybe 9, 10, I forget what it was exactly. But she woke up, and she, she blessed our family, and she went to go get some fresh-baked donuts. Oh, yeah, fresh-baked donuts, right? And, and we're LBI people. Where are my LBI people at? We're at, the, we're, at the, we're at a beach house in LBI. Cape May people? Ocean City. Wildwood. We'll pray for Wildwood. <laughs> so she goes and she gets donuts, right? And we're all, uh, you know, at the, at the table. We're eating. We have some eggs, some bacon, and we're doing our thing. And I'm, my eye's on the prize. My eye's on the donut, Right? And normally, Jill is an amazing multitasker. Like, she could just handle a lot of things. But she's talking to her sister, and, and, and the nephews are around, and she's doing her thing. She grabs the donut. Sorry, I'm going to get emotional real quick. She grabs the donut. She's talking. She starts eating the donut with a fork and knife. And all of us just stopped in our tracks. This is a true story. You don't believe me? Ask her. We all just stopped in our tracks, and we all were like, what are you doing? Why are you eating it with a fork and knife? She's like, I don't understand why I'm doing it either. Like, she just started eating. And I'm like, something is wrong with you. And I said, listen, I'm committed to you. I'm married to you forever. The only way out of this marriage is a body bag, is what we tell her. But right now, we can't be friends. Because what is, what, why, how do you eat a donut? Like a human being with your hands, Right? New Jersey people, back me up. How do you eat pizza? If you say fork and knife, get out of this church right now. Get out of this church. We cannot be friends. We do it like Jerseyans. You pick up the pizza and you what? You fold it. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching already. You fold the pizza. If you do it any other way, if like, I remember I went to college. I didn't know that folding the pizza is only like a New Jersey, New York thing. People from Ohio, they eat the pizza like this. What is wrong with you? You fold that thing, right? Because if you eat it any other way, we, we can't be friends. And, and I remember even in college, I saw my one buddy, he puts out the bowl. He's, he's eating breakfast too. Puts out the bowl. He pours the milk in before the cereal. We can't be friends. If you do that, we can't be friends. And then I seen this other dude, and this is where I draw the line. So if you're new here and you're like, I'm really pushing it right now, this is going to push you over the edge, Okay. I saw one guy open up a Kit Kat and just bite it, and just bite it. He didn't break it off. You know, come on, he didn't break it off. He just bit it. That's where I draw the line. We cannot be friends because you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. And although that's comical, although that's comical, and we all do things differently, and listen, I'm joking. We can be friends, except the Kit Kat thing. I draw the line with the kick that thing. We can't be friends. But 
we do live right now in a society that if you don't agree with everything I, agree, I, I want you to agree with, we, ha- we can't have relationships. It's not, not the society we're living in right now. I could instantly split this room up right now if I talk about politics. I could instantly split this room right now if I talk about vaccinations. I could instantly split this room up right now if I speak about anything that, that, that the church takes a strong stance on, right? Instantly. However, I think we're missing it, church. I think we're missing it because Jesus didn't, didn't show us this divided sense of community. He showed us unity within community. In 1960, Martin Luther King Jr. was recorded saying this. He goes, the most segregated hour in America is 11 a.m. on a Sunday. The most segregated hour in America is 11 a.m. on a Sunday. And to this day, unfortunately, it's still the same way. And he, he followed up by saying the Christian church should be the most integrated organization that we've ever seen. And he was talking about just race. But now, can we take it a little further? Can we be integrated politically? Can we be integrated socioeconomically? Can we be integrated even in preferences? I've had someone tell me the other day, I prefer my pastors with a suit. Well, I prefer my pastors with some J's on. Right? And I'm just wondering, like, why can't we be friends? Anyone in the 90s, why can't we all just get along? right? And this is not this thing that I'm trying, just trying to force on us. I believe that this is something that if you study the ministry of Jesus, that he, he stood for wholeheartedly. In fact, we see this one moment in, in Scripture in, in the book of John 17. We see him praying to the Father, and this is what he prays in verse 20. He says this, I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Jesus is praying to the Father that they all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that, watch this, why? Why just to have unity? No. Jesus said this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Are we missing out on a powerful testimony to this world by not living in unity? By not living in unity. We, we want to argue about stupid stuff. Did he just say stupid stuff? Yes, stupid stuff. Stuff that on a scale of eternity doesn't matter. I remember growing up in the 90s, going to church, and they, they called it the worship wars, right? Does your, song, does your church do hymns? Does your church have an organ? Ooh, you're one of those churches that have drums, aren't you? Right? The worship wars, and we're just fighting over things, and it's just it's silly, and it's, it's, quite frankly, it's nonsense when he's asking us, hey, this is the world's looking at us, and do we want them to see unity or division? And in fact, he, he clearly told us that a house divided against itself will not stand. So I want to just kind of go back to Luke and understand and study Jesus was declared a friend of sinners, a friend of sinners. Jesus was perfect. Sinners are not. Anybody perfect in the room? Get out, because if you are, you're going to mess up the curve. All right? Jesus was perfect. We are not. We couldn't be more different. 
Yet Jesus extended relationship to us so much that he was, he was accused of being a friend of sinners. So how? Let's, as we're going to dive into this series, let's study how is Jesus a friend of sinners. And I believe he did it with these three principles that I'm going to give you this morning. Who's taking notes this morning? Two people. Can I get a third? Can I get a fourth? Make me feel better about my preaching, please. Pretend to write notes. I don't care. Number one, the reason he was, how he was a friend to sinners is that he had confidence in the truth. He had confidence in the truth. If I'm really honest with you, let me push you today. Can I push you? I don't think we're really confident in the truth. Because he was confident in the truth. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Now, let me help you out for a second. He was perfect, like I said. So I envisioned my Jesus. He had good portion control when it came to his meals. He was that dude who was like, just give me a little bit of the cake. You know that person? Just give me that. No, that's too big of a piece. A little less. That, that was Jesus. He had good. He ate. He partied. He hung out with people. But he wasn't a glutton. And bad news for some of the religious people in the room. He drank wine. Not Welch's grapefruit juice. He drank wine. His first miracle was turning water into wine. Right? Some of you are like, yep, it's a party now. Wine. Right? <laughs> Slow down, though. Slow down. He wasn't a drunkard. Let me go back. He wasn't a drunkard. <laughs> right? And so they looked at him, and they saw his associations, and they saw who he was hanging out with, and they saw that Jesus liked to party. Come on. Who envisages Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt? Because he's classy, and he likes to party. Nobody gets that reference? Okay. Um, but Jesus was partying with these guys. And I believe he ate, and I believe he drank, but he didn't eat, he didn't overeat, because that's what glutton means, and he didn't get drunk. So they looked at him, and they judged him from afar, and listen, it was just a half-truth, because he was eating, he was drinking, and he was sitting with them. He was eating, he was drinking, and he was sitting with them. It was a half-truth. Parents, back me up on this. A half-truth is still a whole lie. A half-truth is still a whole lie. So this is what they were accusing him of doing. And thank God that Jesus didn't feel the need to justify himself. He didn't feel the need to go, yeah, but wait, what happened was I, I only had one slice of cake. I only had one glass of wine. He didn't feel the need to justify himself. Why? Because he was confident in the truth. And we rec recognize that even throughout Jesus' ministry, he was so confident in the truth that he even identified himself as the truth. John 14 says this, when Thomas asked him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus' answer was this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He identified himself as the truth. And so how can we exemplify that even in our lives? As we're making friends with people, we need to be confident in the truth, the truth that you know, you, the truth that we understand the grace of God. Come on, somebody. The truth that we understand that God loves us beyond measure. The truth that I don't have to do one more thing to make him love me more, and I can't do one more thing to make him love me less. We have to be confident in that truth, because if not, then we're going to worry too much about what everybody else is thinking. Hello? And he was the truth. And the problem with the church is, we got to understand, is we're not confident in the truth, because we always have to justify the truth. The truth is the truth. 
The truth is the truth. And we need to be confident in that, not trying to justify it, but stand on the truth. What is our truth? And I hate when people say, that's my truth. No, there is the truth. And our truth says this, hey, we need a Savior. We need a Jesus. We, we need perfection to save us from our imperfection. That is our truth. You can read it in 1 John 1, 8. It says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Let me say it a different way, because some of you aren't getting it. Um, we all have dirt. We all have secrets. We all have habits. We all have secret habits. All right? That is our truth. And the more we lean into that truth and have confidence in that truth, then we can have confidence in the greater truth that Jesus came to save sinners like us. He came to, do, to save sinners like us. And here's the problem, though. When we don't give people the whole truth and we just want to correct things like behavior, and we want to tell people, I'm just going to tell them the truth. I want to push us, church. If we're going to be friends to this world, the truth cannot travel faster than love. Hello? The truth cannot travel faster than love. Let me say it a different way. We can't give people truth without Jesus. And I think so many times we try to give just people the truth. That's wrong. That's wrong. Knock it off. Has that ever worked? Has that ever worked? You ever met an angry person? Like, you're angry. You need to chill out. Does that ever work? It never works. But we, what we do is we want to give people truth without Jesus when Jesus is the truth. Truth without Jesus does way more harm than anything we've ever done in the church. But if we deliver Jesus, we could trust and have confidence that the truth is going to be in Jesus. Hello? And long gone are the days when we're forcing people to modify their behaviors so that they belong in the church. What we have to understand is this, that my behavior, my behavior does not does not dictate my relationship with Jesus. My relationship with Jesus should dictate my behavior. And what we're doing is that we're tra- when we go out there and we're just trying to correct people from afar, right? We don't have conversations. We just comment on top of other people's comments. Right? Just comment on top of other people's comments. And what are we doing? We're teaching people that, hey, if you really be- want to be on right standing with God, you have to modify your behavior. Which, listen, I believe that God's going to get your behavior, but he first needs to get your heart. So my behaviors hinge on my relationship with Jesus. My relationship with Jesus does not hinge on my behaviors. That is the truth. And the faster we get confident in the truth, the better we understand that. And some people are really afraid to preach that kind of stuff because they say, if you continue to preach that kind of radical grace, it's just going to allow people to just keep on sinning. I don't believe that. And even Paul understood this. And in Romans 6, he says, what shall that we then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? If you really understand the love of God, you're dead to that sin. And so are we going to mess up and keep on messing up? Absolutely. But it's his grace that keeps me coming back to him. It's his grace that becomes my motivator. We all prayed it together. Draw me closer. Make me better. Notice I don't do it the opposite way. Make me better so that I can draw close to you. No, as I draw close, he makes me better. And if so, in order for us to truly have friendship and relationship with people outside of our faith, we have to be confident in the truth. And we have to be confident that, hey, to treat everyone 
equal humanity and dignity because we're all on the same playing field. Because if I think for one second that there's no sin in me, then the truth is not in me. Number two, so he was confident in the truth. Number two, he was confident in his love. He was confident in his love. How do I know this? He wasn't, there's this term, you might have heard this. He wasn't guilty by association. You ever heard that phrase? He was guilty by association. And in this world, I, I see, and, and, and as I'm studying the church, some of us were just digging our heels deeper, and we said, well, you can't, you can't let certain people come into the church. You can't do this. You can't do that. Why? Because we feel that we're going to be guilty by association. Um, I have a problem with that because Jesus was perfect. And since he was perfect, he wasn't guilty by association. And so he was popular, but he wasn't always liked. And thank God, Jesus' goal was to love people, not to be always liked by people. So he was confident in his love. He was confident in his approach towards people. He, he understood that not everyone's going to like me, but I'm gonna, my, my goal, my aim is to love people. And the problem with that is, is that religious people always worry about public opinion. Hello? Religious people worry about public opinion. There's a story in the book of Mark where they were about to arrest Jesus, and they, did, they didn't arrest Jesus because the Bible says that they were afraid, the priests were afraid about what the crowd would think. And that's the problem with religion. If you ever struggle with religion, just know that you're always worried about public opinion. And thank God that the love of God is not dependent on people's opinion of you. I don't know if you know this, some people don't like me. I know, it's crazy, right? But I have to be confident in his love, that his love doesn't depend on the opinion of other people. His love isn't focused on my actions. His love is focused on who he is. His love is focused not on the opinion. He, he has, he has he, I always say this to people, and people are like, it takes a while for them to get it. I don't believe God has opinions. He doesn't have, thank you, my brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is anointed now. <laughs> get it back. <laughs> I'll sell it to you back. Ain't that messed up? <laughs> But it isn't dependent on my actions. It isn't dependent on my behaviors. Listen, because if we're not confident in the love of God, we, we, it's focused on the reputation of certain things and the reputations of people. And I think sometimes the church struggles with feeling as though people can contaminate something that is holy. Right? And that's why we're always on guard. Let's not contaminate certain things. And here's what I fully believe, because, again, if you really study the ministry of Jesus, and I'm hoping that we're going to learn from Jesus here, is that we couldn't contaminate Jesus. In fact, it's his righteousness that contaminated us. There's a story of a woman with an issue of blood, and she was bleeding for 12 years, and she spent all her money trying to fix her problem. And at the time, we... If you just read the story, you, you don't really understand what's going on because we don't understand, like, the Old Testament setup of it. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it actually says this. Remember, she was bleeding for 12 years, and she just wanted healing, and she just wanted restoration. She wanted to be whole again. And in Leviticus, it says this. I know this is kind of graphic, but this is just the Bible. Hopefully, it doesn't make you uncomfortable. It says this. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, 
not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has discharged beyond the time of her impurity. Some of you are like, the Bible says that? (laughs) Yes, it does. Leviticus 15. It says this, all the days of the discharge shall be continued in uncleanliness. That means you couldn't touch her and she couldn't touch you. That's what the Bible says. So this woman had this issue for 12 years. So then we see in Mark chapter 5, there's this crowd around Jesus. And she, something happened inside of her. She knew that if she could just touch Jesus, she would be made whole. And Jesus creates this scene. It's, it's kind of beautiful. And you pick it up in verse 30. And it says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my gardens? Now, garments. Listen to me. Jesus knew who touched him. He knew. He was setting this up. He wanted everybody to know that this woman who shouldn't have touched him did. So then he said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, Jesus, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear, trembled, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Watch what he says to her. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your disease. Why does she come to him in fear and trembling? Because she knew that she was going against custom. She knew that she was breaking the rules. Because you can't contaminate holiness with your disease and your sin. You can't do that. And Jesus was so confident in who he was. He was so confident in his love. He's like, yo, you can't contaminate me. My righteousness contaminates you. My righteousness contaminates you. We won't understand that revelation until we have full confidence in God's love for us. What does that mean to you? I need you to get this. I need you to get this because some of you still, to this day, you're struggling with this. God's not afraid of your issues. He's not afraid of your issues. He's not afraid of your drama. He's not afraid of your secrets. He's not afraid of your shortcomings. He's not afraid of you. In fact, he doesn't lean away from you. He leans into you. He leans into you. You can touch him. You can reach him. He's an approachable God. And I'm telling you that he wants to make you well. But we need to get over that religious nonsense and touch the hem of his garments. And touch the hem of his garments. Because if, it, if that wasn't true, then why would he be sitting with sinners? Number three, and my favorite point, is that he had confidence in the results of truth and love. He had confidence in the results of truth and love. You know what else that religion does? Religion just creates anxiety. Religion's always worried about something, worried about what people think. Worried about safety, worried about this. That's what religion has taught us. We're just anxious. And here's what anxious people do. Anxious people, back me up on this. When, you're, when you have anxiety, what do you try to do? You try to control things or people. Right? That's what we do. We try to control things and people. Because that, that eases our anxiety. And if you struggle with anxiety, write this down. This is really important. Control is just false peace. Control is just false peace. It's not real. It's not real peace. Because you know intellectually you can never really control anything in your life. But you try to give yourself this sense of false peace by trying to control people and things. 
And so why, if control was the answer, if control was the answer, why wasn't Jesus' first step towards humanity control? Why didn't he, when he encountered these guys, I'm like, hey, guys, hey, do me a favor. Let's, let's stop drinking. Let's stop eating. Let's stop partying. Because, you know, these people over there are looking, looking at us. Let's, let's, let's pray. Can we pray? Bust out your scrolls. Let's have a scroll study. Get it? No. Right? Let's, let's, let's do something that looks holy. Right? Let's do something that looks proper. He didn't do that. His first step, get this, please get this. His first step towards us wasn't control. His first step towards us was connection. Because if it was control, it would have been a completely different story. It would have been a completely different story. His first step towards us was connection. Why? Because A, connection is just false peace. B, connection violates our gift of free will. If I control you, if I control you, I'm taking away the first gift God ever gave humanity, and that's free will. He gave us the ability to choose. Why? Why was choice so important? Because without choice, then we cannot have love. If I force you to love me, that's not real love. Forced love, forced loyalty is not real. If you choose to love me, then that's real love. And so he gave us this gift of free will. And so, but again, this is what we try to do, church. We're called to be friends to people outside of our faith. And the only way we could do that to feel safe, because that's what religion does. Religion is so full of anxiety. Hey, do me a favor. Don't cuss. Don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't hang out with girls who do. That's what we want. We want to control the environment. But Jesus' first step towards us wasn't control. It was a connection. It was a connection. And why? Because he had confidence in the results of truth and love. That's why he had confidence. You can't be in the proximity of love and not want better for yourself. Do y'all believe that? You cannot be in the proximity of love and not want better for yourself. He had the confidence in the results of truth and love. And so he didn't come in trying to change the outside. He goes, no, 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 I want your heart. Because if I get your heart, I have everything. So here's the beautiful thing. Because if we love people, we want to we wanna beat people into the kingdom. But if you love people into the kingdom, here's what happens. They'll get to a place in their lives where they take their free will, they take the control in their lives, and they go, I want to give Jesus the control over my life. And that is the beginning of salvation. Those who could believe in their heart and confess with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means control over every aspect of my life. It's that free will. Jesus didn't, he wasn't a friend of sinners so that we could have good Sunday performance. He was a friend of sinners because he wanted permanent change. And people change permanently when they make the decision for themselves to change. Have you ever tried that? Try to change so hard. You want somebody to want something. Parents, you could probably empathize with me on this. You want them to want it, but they have to want it. They have to want it. And what we do is we try to turbo develop people. We try to turbo change people. We want quick fix, and quick fix don't stick. They don't. I don't know why. Sometimes I read stupid stuff. I was reading this one report. People, 61% of people who get liposuction get fat right back in the spot so they got liposuction. 
And that's not even the crazy part. You ready for this one? 79% of those people say they'll go do it again. What does that tell you? Everybody just wants a quick fix. And quick fix don't stick. So sometimes you got to play the long game and you got to love people every single day, inch by inch, into the kingdom of God. You, let's stop for a second. You have to love yourself inch by inch every single day to be more and more in the likeness of Jesus, right? You're a work in progress. All of us, we're all under construction to some degree, right? But we have to trust the results of truth and love. We have to trust the results of truth and love. And that's when we get permanent change. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Let's all stand.